we're about to dive into what um, I, I'm, I, I'm really intrigued with, but let me tell you why. Uh, I got this idea, and I hope it was the Lord leading me, to do a series on the Bible. Uh, the idea, what are the most quest, uh, asked questions on the Bible? So what are the 10 most Googled questions or, or asked? And, and then also, what are some of the things you need to know so the Bible becomes more meaningful, more active, and more alive in your life? Because the Bible is God's word. It's God's mind. It's God's heart for you and I. In it, we know the promises of God. Uh, we know the, the power of God that can work inside of us. Uh, we know the principles we should live our life by. And we even know the prophecies, uh, which I'm going to get a little bit into that tonight, more later uh, uh, on that, uh, so that you can know uh, that, that what God's doing. By the way, I, I'm going to go totally ADD on you. Um, the other day, Tracy knows this, I changed my profile picture on my Facebook page. Now, I know some of you are too young to know what Facebook is, but uh, I'm kidding. Um, no, no laughs on that one either. Okay, maybe online. So get ready for this. I changed my profile picture and I didn't know it. It came up saying that at 3.30 that day, I was going to talk about prophecy on my podcast because it was somehow attached to an old picture. And my wife, Pam, is sitting there as her phone's lighting up with people saying, I'm here, where's Chuck? I'm online. And so, <laughs> isn't that funny? Okay, that you laughed at. All right. Okay, so anyway, what I want to tell you is that God's word's amazing. So in the midst of wanting to talk to you about it and help you understand it better and get more out of the Bible and get more of the Bible into you, a question came up. And I've been asked this question more than once, but I didn't think about including it like we are tonight. And the question was this, what translation's the best translation? And I went, oh. And so all over and over again, we've had just conversations, I, I, I can say, erupt over it. John, you and I are in a conversation about this, right? We were backstage on, yeah. was it yesterday? Yep. That was fun. It was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> Leslie's back there. You guys can't see Leslie, but Leslie got all excited about it. Then Leslie, the conversation we were in, other people came in and jumped in. And so it was really, really, and I thought, we got to talk about this. So I, I think it will actually make the Bible more meaningful to you. It'll make it better for you. So whenever we talked about this, I, hopefully it's created a, a, a feeling of uh, almost a buzz in your life of wanting to know more and more what the Bible has to say. So we're going to delve into that tonight. What translation? is the best translation for you and why. Uh, by the way, what is the purpose of each translation? Because I want you to know that each translation has a different purpose. And if you use it for its purpose, you will use it correctly. Uh, if you don't use it for its purpose, you may end up uh, not using it correctly. Uh, and so you need to know that uh, and you need to know the purpose of it. Um, so it's just kind of interesting. A part of what sparked the conversation, though, is that uh, recently a particular translation has started to be more popular. It's called the Passion Translation. Uh, so I don't know if you've ever heard of it, uh, but it's created a lot of people wondering, is it okay to read or is it not okay to read? Uh, but it's interesting because uh, the Passion uh, actually came out, at least in the form it's in right now, in 2015. So uh, six years ago. So it's been around a little while. Uh, the passion comes from a man, one man, by the way, one man named Brian Simmons. And Brian Simmons claims this. I'm going to quote him. He said, Jesus Christ came into my room. He breathed on me. He commissioned me. He spoke to me and said, 
I'm commissioning you to translate the Bible into the translation project that I'm giving you to do. And he promised he would help me and he promised that he would give me the secrets of the Hebrew language. A little eerie, um, but I want you to think about that. His claim is Jesus actually told him, I want you to do this. And Jesus told him, while he did not know Hebrew, because he had no expertise at all in Hebrew, that Jesus would open him up to the secrets of the Hebrew language. Now, I want you to think about, is that a version you can trust? Well, the first thing I would tell you is this. Even in the name, there's a problem. It's called the Passion Translation, but it's not a translation. It's not a translation because while Brian Simmons is a former missionary, he did help get the New Testament to some, a people group in Panama. He has no expertise in translation, and he did not have the accountability that a true translation would have. You'll see more about what I'm getting at in a minute. So what you had is the work of one man who has no expertise in Hebrew whatsoever, and um, a little bit of knowledge or maybe some more knowledge of Greek, and he's giving you his translation of the Bible. Um, I want to say this. I don't know that it's wrong for you to read it. But at best, at best, it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. Now, we're going to get to what a paraphrase is in a moment, but I'll quickly tell you so I don't wait. Uh, a paraphrase would be a person's opinion on what the Bible's saying, but not actually a translation of what the Hebrew or the Aramaic or the Greek is saying. And so there's a problem in scholarship with that, but it's not wrong to hear someone else's opinion. But all you'll be getting, all you'll be getting is an opinion uh, on that right now. And so I, I want you to be aware of that. So now let's go to the whole idea of translation. What translation's best for you? Uh, by the way, there are 450 or around 450 English translations of the Bible. I don't know if you guys knew that. Right around 450. version, which I love. By the way, if you don't know version, go to an app store, get version. Uh, it's free. Uh, but they have 64 English translations and growing. I also was intrigued by this. While I was doing the research, they hit the point where they've had 2,000 translations other than in English and other languages, uh, in 1,400 languages, by the way. And their goal is to get the word of God out in every way they can to as many people as they can. And I love it. But going back, they have 64 English translations. Which one should you choose? Which one is best for you? So to understand that, and I hope this doesn't, please don't be boring. I'm talking to me. Um, <laughs> The idea I want you to know is the history of the Bible and the history of the translation. So uh, all you History Channel people, get ready. All right, uh, so what do you need to know? Well, the Bible was given, we talked before, through the prophets and the apostles. It would, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Uh, and then a little bit of Aramaic, and the New Testament was written in Greek. By the way, a very interesting form of Greek, ancient Greek, Koine Greek, uh, which is uh, a very rich, deep, meaningful language, so it makes sense God would use that. Originally, the Bible was not written in a book form, uh, but it was written on scrolls, and we'll show you a picture of even a more accurate scroll than this. Most scrolls were only written on one side. Every now and then, they were written on front and written on back. Uh, which you're later on in prophecy, we're going to talk about why that's important. So hopefully you'll kind of hang on to that little piece of trivia. Uh, but there would be um, probably four scrolls for the book of Isaiah. 
So what happens is to actually be able to carry your Bible around when it was on scrolls was not only impossible, it was improbable you could do it. Uh, A scroll today, an actual scroll today, uh, would be worth $20,000. So to just get the book Isaiah, Bill, would be $80,000, which you would invest in, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you would. The Ethiopian eunuch did, by the way. He, he kept collecting pieces of the Bible uh, so that he could own that. But I want you to know you couldn't carry it around. It would be too bulky. So the Old Testament would not even have all the books of the Old Testament in every synagogue, but they would have some in the synagogues. Uh, the uh, opportunity for you to start hearing more and more scripture. You would go to different places and it would be opened up and read to you. And then of course, uh, there was a time where these scrolls were actually hidden uh, because there was a desire I told you about before to destroy them. And they began to be discovered over the course of time. The other thing I think is worth knowing is when the Bible was on scrolls, there were no chapters or verses, both in the Old or the New Testament. Chapters and verses are an addition that was made, uh, by the way, starting in about the year 1100, uh, and it was completed, at least the way we have it today, in 1551. And the reason those verses and chapters were put there is so if you and I wanted to go to the same place to study the same verse, we could tell you where to go to. But they're not a part of the original. Now, that actually is more important than you know, uh, because the majority of the Bible is meant to be taken as a whole. Uh, For instance, the book of Romans is one argument from the Apostle Paul. And if you were to break it into pieces, you could actually mistranslate or misunderstand what Paul's trying to tell you. Uh, I hope this will be meaningful for you to know. Uh, But Romans starts out by talking about that man has sinned and deserved God's judgment and wrath. But God is a God of love, it says in Romans, and wants to give us grace. And God did that through a man named Abraham who had faith. And God revealed these promises to the Jewish people who were the people of promise. And then in Romans chapter 9, it says, and God is sovereign. And Paul says in Romans 9, God can choose to do whatever he wants to do with the people he's made. If he wants to make you to go to heaven, he can make you to go to heaven. But if he has made you to go into punishment or hell, he can do that because God is sovereign and you can't question him. And a lot of people stop there and they don't go to the next chapter. That's where the problem comes. Because in Romans chapter 10, it says this, The sovereign God who couldn't choose to make people to go to heaven or choose to make people go to hell has the sovereign right to choose how people get to go to heaven. And do you know what he actually says? It's by your choice. Mm -hmm. In other words, no one is made by God to go to hell. No one in God's plan or will is would go to hell. He has chosen sovereignly that anybody who would have real faith in him will actually be able to have a relationship with him, be forgiven, and go to heaven. So that culminating moment comes in Romans chapter 10, where it says in verse 8, for what does it say? And the it is the word of faith. What does the word of faith say? It says the word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching to you. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So here's what I don't want you to miss. He says, what is the word of faith telling you? That if, you know what the word if means? 
It means you could choose. You could or could not do this. If you would choose to, if you would choose to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. That's what Paul's main point is. And so what I wanna say is whenever you take a book of the Bible, you gotta take the entire book and understand it and then understand how it fits together. So originally, God did not have chapters and verses is what I'm getting at. Now, the next thing I wanna tell you is this, is the Bible was originally written in three languages. So the Old Testament is primarily Hebrew. The New Testament, again, is Koine Greek with a little bit of Aramaic in both. Uh, So what happened is we needed to have the Hebrew language uh, part of the Bible translated into a language you and I could read and understand. And we need the Greek part or Aramaic parts translated so we can understand it too. And while there had been other times of translation, the first major translation to occur happened around 300 years before Jesus and was completed in its totality uh, 200 years before Jesus ever lived. And it was taking the Hebrew Old Testament and translating into the Greek language, which was the most known and common language uh, of that part of the world in that day. Ptolemy II gathered a group of 70, actually 72, Hebrew scholars. Now, that's important to notice how many he used to do a translation so that they could hold each other accountable, so they could work together, so they could refine everything they did so a true translation, an accurate translation of that Hebrew text could happen. And he gathered 72 scholars together and commissioned them to translate the Hebrew Bible into Greek. And he began to protect it, and he began to treasure it. Then something really important occurred. And I know that probably I'm maybe one of the few who care about this, but come on, you got to get in with me. What happened is, when the New Testament began to be written, 200 and some years later, God inspired the writers to quote the Septuagint over and over again. Now, I know some of you are going, why does that matter? Well, you're not asking that. You know why it matters. But, but you know what? Some of you are saying, why would that matter? It actually matters more than you know. Hear why. God, in his sovereignty, inspired writers to quote a translation. And that tells you, and that tells me, that you can trust a translation when you read it to give you the truth of the word of God. Do you, now, now, lean in on this. You can trust your English Bible to accurately give you the message that God gave in the original Hebrew, the original Aramaic, and the original Greek. Now, it'd be nice if you could go back and study some of those languages, but the bottom line is God, in having them quote the the Greek, not the Hebrew, was showing us by example that you and I can trust the translators when it's done correctly. Uh, I think this is really interesting, and some of you are going to go, I don't know that it is. But, okay, get ready. Test me now on this. Laura, is it interesting in yes, a second? So well, okay. you can tell me in a moment. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Natalie, I know you. Natalie will think it's interesting. Yeah, All right. Yeah, like that's I knew that. Okay, get ready. So here's what it is. There's a letter in the New Testament called the letter to the Hebrews. It's a letter to Hebrew Christians. Fifteen times the writer was inspired to quote the Greek translation, not the original Hebrew. Is that interesting? Very. You, you, you really think so? You don't have to. But. I, 
Yeah, it's interesting. I think it really is kind of cool <laughs> because you know what God again is showing is when he wanted to get a message to the Hebrew people who actually spoke Greek in that day, he trans used the translation to do it. So if you're not getting anything else out of what I'm saying, except that I'm excited, uh, is this, is that you can trust your English translation. And so I want you to be aware of that. So that all happened uh, uh, about 200 years before Jesus. We have the Greek translation. Then in the fourth century, and I want to give you some more history, uh, Jerome, uh, who was a priest. He was a theologian. He was a historian. He was a scholar. He was eminent in his day. He felt like that they needed to have the Bible in a more common language for their day called Latin. So most people spoke Latin. So if you spoke Latin, you couldn't read Greek, you couldn't read Hebrew. So how would you read the Bible? So what he did uh, is actually he did it for the Catholic church. He spent years, most of those years in a cave translating the Bible from Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek into Latin. So it could be more widespread. It could be more understood. It could be more available to the people. And I believe, by the way, God has guided this whole process. Uh, A little piece of trivia, I got to be in Jerome's cave. Jerome's cave is right next to the church in the nativity where we believe that Jesus was born. And matter of fact, there's a lot of historical evidence for that. And I got to be in that cave, uh, and I got to preach in that cave, by the way. Which, okay, Bill, Ben, you're with me. Yeah, Lauren, what do you think? I think that's really cool. It was really cool. I'd love to bring you guys there. I got to tell you, when you go down in that cave, it's it's it. You feel like Indiana Jones, kind of, <laughs> but you can feel something. It just you've been there, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You totally feel like that. You feel his presence. Yeah, you do feel God's presence and know something amazing happened there. So what happened is Jerome was used to do that. Uh, Now, this is a point where I need to try to not confuse you. Jerome translated the Old Testament and the New Testament. He also translated some other books that were put in the, his version of the Bible, he was put, they were put after Malachi and before Matthew. And we call those the Apocrypha. Now, nobody, not even Jerome, thought they were inspired. No one believed they held the apostolic or prophetic authority of the Old and the New Testament. But he put them in there so we could know history that happened between Malachi and Matthew. Now, the Apocrypha is in the most Catholic Bibles today, almost all Catholic Bibles, but the majority uh, of Protestant Bibles, or just what we would say more independent Christian, uh, do not put them in there because they're not considered inspired and they're not authoritative. Matter of fact, it's interesting, even the definition of Apocrypha says this, the Apocrypha is biblical or related writings not forming part of the accepted canon of scripture, books outside the Hebrew Bible canon, not considered divinely inspired. So uh, there's almost a universal agreement that while they're interesting to read, uh, they're more historical. But by the way, not completely accurate historically, where the Bible is 100% accurate historically. Matter of fact, the Bible is 100% accurate historically. Uh, It is 100% accurate archaeologically. Uh, It's 100% accurate scientifically, which we'll get to later on. And it's 100% accurate prophetically. And the Apocrypha is none of those things. So that's why we would not look at those or go to those. So 200 BC, what do we have? We have the translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek. Uh, Fourth century, 400 years after Christ, right around there, we have the translation of the Old and the New Testament into Latin, so the majority of people can understand it. Then you fast forward to an amazing year, 1611. 
And in 1611, a man named King James, who actually, from what we can understand, really did have a love for God, definitely a love for the Word of God, he gathered together uh, an incredible number of scholars, uh, 47 scholars, who were known in their day to be experts in Hebrew and Greek, and they translated the Bible into what we call today the King James Version. Uh, Which, by the way, Travis, what's your favorite version of the Bible? It is the King James Version. I go back and forth, but that's always held a special place in my heart, for sure. Now, for fun, why? Why is that? Uh, So, growing up, my dad had a copy of these. They were really flashcards of of verses. And every Saturday, as a young little Travis, we'd sit down (laughs) and he'd have me memorize them before I could go out and play. And at first, I hated it because I'm a little kid who wanted to run out of the side. But, you know, I, I look back at those times and really, that's what really I cling to. In times of trouble, I cling to those King James verses, and, and that's so, it's always just held a special place in my heart. Yeah, you know what? I think you're not the only one who feels that way. King James is a very, very accurate translation. I'm going to get into a couple little problems, but um, in the day it was translated, by far was the most accurate translation of the Hebrew and the Greek into the English language. They were, did not have all the a- earliest or ancient manuscripts we have today. Uh, we discovered manuscripts they did not have access to. But I cannot tell you the number of people who open up the King James, and it's so beautiful and so amazing. Uh, It's considered by many, many, many scholars, uh, literature scholars, to be one of the most beautiful books ever written. Uh, And it's interesting, when I was at Cal State Fullerton, I had a professor who was not a Christian who said, my favorite book to read is the King James Version of the Bible. Um, Because there's something about it. And 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 by the way, if you've never done that, open it up, man. Just uh, I would say everything in it, But Psalm 23, boy, it captures the power and the beauty of that psalm in a way that's just really, really incredible. Uh, But what I do want to point out is that uh, because the, the 47 scholars did not have in their hands the most accurate ancient manuscripts but yet they did have some really good ones. Uh, they, they inserted some things in the King James Bible that would not be in the earliest manuscripts. Uh, now, what would that be? Mark chapter 16, 9 to 20 is not in the earliest manuscripts. Uh, John 7, 53 to, 50, to chapter 8, verse 11 is not in the earliest manuscripts. Uh, and then 1 John 5, 7 and 8 uh, the King James uh, uh, writers actually didn't go to any of the Greek manuscripts of their day. They went to what Jerome put in the Latin and kept it, even though almost no Greek manuscript has that. Uh, I want to show you on screen what we're talking about. And uh, for instance, in 1 John 5, 7, in the King James Version, it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And that sounds so cool, except it's not in any of the a- ancient manuscripts or even uh, some of the ones that are, were more recent in that time. What does it actually say in the, in the Greek? It says this, for there are three that testify, the Father, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. Now, if you're looking at that, you're going, whoa, those look a little bit different or a lot different. But what is important to know is because of textual research and criticism, we're able to know what would be accurate to the ancient manuscripts and what would not be. So rather than that undermining your faith in the Bible, I hope it'd have you go, see, if there's ever a time, like in 1611, that something was inserted that shouldn't be there, very quickly we were able to find that out and correct it. Uh, so that today, more than ever, you have on your hands a correct translation of the original Hebrew and the original Greek, and you can trust that. And so now, now, after that, I hope I've not lost you, what we have is 
200 years before Jesus, we have a translation that became used and God even had people use. Then in the fourth century, uh, the Latin Vulgate went out and changed the world of its day. And it was a beautiful, incredible translation of the Bible. Then in 1611, one of the best translations ever put together happened in the King James Version. And now we move into modern day times. We have 450 some translations out there. So what translation is the best one for you? And why would it be the best one for you? So let me tell you, there are three kinds of English translations. There are literal translations, which are word-for-word translations. We call that formal equivalent. That means they try as best they can to actually match every single word that was in the original with an English word. There are dynamic translations, which, by the way, are an amazing translation that try to give you the sense and the meaning of the sentence and the paragraph and the chapter uh, so that it might be more understandable to you and I based on trying to be accurate to the understanding of the original. And then there are what we call paraphrases, which typically are by very few people, usually by one person, that gives you their idea of what they think it means. Uh, So it's an opinion, uh, and most paraphrases are opinions based with scholars, uh, but they don't even want to. They do not want to, by and large, have themselves compared to what we call the literal translations. Uh, We'll get to one of my favorite paraphrases in a minute. But the person who did that never, ever, ever would want you to not have as your main source of study a literal or dynamic translation. They'd want you to look at his paraphrases, his opinion. And that guy's an amazing scholar named Eugene Peterson. So let me, all right, now dig into this a literal translation. Why would that be a great translation for your study Bible? So if you were to have a main study Bible, I'm telling you, and you want to get the most depth, the most accuracy to what you're studying, it's best if you could get a literal translation and study from that. Why? Because as much as possible, when you see a word there, that word is in the original. Now, let me give you an idea uh, of of that. Uh, The New American Standard Bible would be a very accurate word-for-word translation. The English Standard Version, right? Yeah, there you go. It's a very, very word-for-word translation. Uh, The New King James Version is. Uh, Now, you might say, okay, check then. Why doesn't everybody read those? And let me tell you why. Because they're harder to read. (laughs) They're harder to understand. Um, The average person in the United States, this is not a put down, get ready, Tracy, it's not a put down, you asked me to make that clear, uh, reads at a sixth to seventh grade reading level. Okay, so that's our country. By the way, that's not me. It's not even meant to be a put down. It's just the way we talk. It's the way we interact. Uh, And so uh, most people read at a sixth or seventh grade reading level. I I read that uh, romance novels are all written at that level. (laughs) Just thought that was funny. Okay, so uh, all right. But the New American Standard Bible is written at an 11th grade reading level, the same as the Wall Street Journal. Uh, So that might be harder for some people to understand. And it's more important that you have a version you understand than you have one you're reading and don't understand. Um, The the, um, New Living Translation, which I'll get to in a minute, is a dynamic translation. It's written on purpose at a sixth grade reading level. So it'll be far more understandable to you. Most literal translations are at a high reading level. Most dynamic translations on purpose are at a more common reading level. 
so that people can actually understand more of what they're reading. So uh, that's one of the things to kind of catch and understand. Uh, but the other thing I thought would be worth pointing out, so this is information I hope you don't let go of, when you're reading a literal translation of the Bible, like a New American or an English Standard Version, they will on purpose put in italics any word that's not in the original. In other words, if it's not an actual word they're bringing over from the Hebrew or the Greek or the Aramaic, they will italicize it and let you know they've inserted it for the purpose of understanding. Uh, I have a verse I put on the screen for you to see uh, that will give an, uh, an example of that. Uh, it says in John chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, and, and his, Jesus' disciple asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? By the way, we're going to get to that on the weekend pretty soon. Why are some people born blind? Why are some people born with disabilities? And the apostles are saying, Lord, is it because his parents sinned that that happened? And the Lord's going to say no, by the way. He's going to say no. But Jesus answered and said, it was, now notice that it was as italicized. It's not in the original. Mm -hmm. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Um, I want to do a parenthesis moment. God in his sovereignty, and we talked about that a minute ago, knows that there are people who will be born with a disability, blindness, deaf, Down syndrome. And God said, do you know why that's happening? You might think it's cruel, but I'm telling you it's so my glory can be displayed. And you might be going, how is that true? Well, I know this. I don't even think any of you would argue with this. When I'm around somebody who has Down syndrome, and it's a blessing whenever I get to be, I feel like I'm around a true angel of God. Do you guys agree? So I've never been around anyone as loving, as unconditional loving, as someone who has Down syndrome. And you know what? Every now and then someone will say, oh, it's too bad they're not normal. And I'm like, how do we not know they're not normal and we're not? Yeah, you know, because the cruelty, the meanness, the lying the, that's in so many of us is not typically there. Mm -hmm. So I just want to come back and say, the Lord said, hey, don't, don't think it's sin. There's something special going on here. Mm -hmm. And that's why our church, by the way, loves people, period. But we have a special heart for the people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. But back to what I want to get to mainly. In verse 3, it says, it was. That's in italicized. Now, why was that inserted? It's inserted so you and I can understand the tense that was in the Greek words in the original, but the Greek word has an ability to give tenses, past, present, or future, that we do not have in the English language. So they insert it not to change the meaning, but to give you a more accurate view of the tense. But the translators wanted you to know they had done that. In other words, there's so much intellectual integrity to what they're doing that they always italicize the word so you could know that's true. Uh, so anyway, that's a literal translation. For instance, New American or the English Standard Version. Um, by the way, I want to give you an example of where uh, uh, versions can tend to choose to not have words or to have words. So for instance, I'm going to get to in a moment, a dynamic translation is not a word-for-word -word translation. And one of my favorite dynamic translations is the New Living uh, Translation. So I want to compare the New American on uh, Revelation 8.5 to the, to the New Living of Revelation 8.5. So I'm going to put those on the screen for you to see. Notice where there's a word left out. In the New American, it says, then the angel, and it's talking about something that's going to happen 
in the not-too-distant future uh, where God begins to bring tribulation on this earth. And it says, Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar, and he threw it to the earth, and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Now, all of those are in the original language. Uh, and, and so I want you to key in on the word sounds. Now look at the New Living Translation. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar, threw it to the earth, and thunder crashed, and lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. Did you notice the word sounds is not there? And the reason it's not there is because the translators of the New Living wanted you to get the sense of this incredible crashing and flashing and earthquake moving, and they, they felt like sounds would, might throw you off. But the word sounds is a very interesting word in the Greek. It actually means whispering or voices. Now, the reason I want to tell you that's so incredible to me is because I love studying about the last days. In the not-too-distant future, a worldwide event's going to occur where all of a sudden a thunderstorm will hit and the thunder will rumble in a way that gets your attention like no other. Lightning will be flashing and voices will be in the midst of it. And you'll be sitting there going, did you hear that? What did they say? And all these voices, probably thousands or millions of voices will be whispering in the midst of the thunder and the lightning. It's going to be very freaky, very eerie. So the question you got to ask is, will the rapture happen before or after that? And I'm not going to tell you right now. But, but I don't know why. So when I read about that, I'm reading about things happening that are going to blow people's minds. And so that word sounds to me is pretty important uh, to have. And uh, it, it's, it's one of the reasons you might want to have a study Bible that you look at that gives you the idea of what the actual original is saying. All right, so the uh, literal translations are like New American Standard and English Standard. I believe they're your best go-to study Bible, so you're reading the words God wants you to read. Now, the dynamic translations are amazing, so you get more of an understanding of what the verses say. Uh, their purpose, the purpose of a uh, dynamic translation, or what is called uh, an equivalent translation, or a thought-for-thought -thought translation, is so you would read not word by word but you'd read a sentence or even better, a paragraph at a time and take the meaning from that. It's a great way to study the Bible. It's a great way for you and I to understand it. And so they never were intended for you to study word by word. That was nobody's intent when they did these. Uh, so what they want you to know is that you can understand so much of scripture and, and get the meaning of it. So whenever you're reading a New Living Translation or an NIV, uh, by the way, the New Living is at sixth grade reading level. The NIV is at seventh grade reading level, more of our, our reading levels. Then what happens is you would read and not take word by word, but take it basically paragraph by paragraph. Then there's what we call paraphrases. And uh, that's where somebody, an author, usually only one, uh, has come together and given you his opinion on what that verse means. Now, my favorite, favorite, and my wife's all-time favorite, and you were telling me Hillsong loves this translation. They do. And what is it? It's The Message. The Message by Eugene Peterson. Peterson's an amazing man of God. He never wanted to have this be your study Bible, but he wanted you to get the essence of it by giving you the flavor and the power and the passion of maybe some of their underlying thoughts or tenses or, or things like that, or at times his own opinion. 
Uh, but he wanted you to think about what the word of God is saying at that point. But he would want you, Peterson would want you not to believe him immediately, but to go test what you're reading against the more literal and even more dynamic translations. Uh, so I thought this would be fun to do. So let me go ahead and put three verses on the screen if we're going to fit all three, are we? Um, if not, uh, we'll put them up there one at a time. Uh, it's one at a time, Tracy and Leslie told me. Okay, good job, you guys. So, Leslie, are we tracking where we wanted to go? Okay, good, thank you. If nobody else is into this, Leslie is. <laughs> and Natalie is. Yeah. And John. I am. And Bill. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> Second, I'm not putting anybody down. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 in the New American. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Now, when you're studying in a New American translation right there, you could take every single one of those words and bank that that's what God was putting in the original. So God is telling you something that all scripture, all scripture, is inspired by God and profitable. Every part of scripture. By the way, please, Leviticus is profitable. <laughs> I know something, I'm gonna teach you later how to understand Leviticus. But Leviticus is profitable, okay? It's actually one of my favorite books of the Bible. Zechariah is off the charts profitable. But you just gotta understand uh, some of the background of it. So all scripture is profitable for what? For teaching. So every part of the Bible I could go to I can show you, I can teach you things about your life, things about yourself, most of all, things about God. And all scripture is meant to do that. And it's also profitable for reproof. But what does the word reproof mean? For calling out what's not good in you. The actual Greek word means for conviction. But it's a conviction that causes pain because you caught someone in the moment doing something wrong. Um, it was a, a few months ago, my grandchildren were with me and I caught, uh, I won't name which one? My son, grandson, Liam. Um, I, I caught him doing something wrong, and he looked at me, and when I called him on it, he knew. But, you know, if I was going to be really caring for him, I couldn't let him off the hook. Right. I had to bring out that could not have been more wrong. And I hope better for you, but I'm not going to. And he was devastated. Sometimes I get devastated by what I read in Scripture mm. because it points out what's not right in me. Yeah. Uh, it's also for correction. It now shows me the correct way to go and course corrects me. Uh, it's for training in righteousness, which by the way, it's not just for righteousness. It's, it takes you through training routines to become more righteous. And uh, it does all this so you would be adequate and equipped for every good work. So that would be the word for word. Let's look at a more dynamic translation in the New Living. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, and it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to do when we're right, uh, what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Uh, and that's a beautiful translation. Again, you don't want to break that down word for word. If you didn't catch it, some of the wording's missing in reality. But it gives you the sense that God wanted you to have, that God's word is good for you, useful for you, and it trains you and equips you or prepares you and equips you to do every good and right thing God wants you to do. And so that's what you need to understand is that God's word will do that for you. And then here's Eugene Peterson. Uh, do, should we do a shout out real quickly? Anyway, okay, to let's Eugene? do Eugene? All right, Eugene Peterson, yeah. So here's what it is. Second, in the message, every part of scripture is God-breathed. 
and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task that God has for us. I love that translation. Mm -hmm. But again, I would only use that to get a sense of what Peterson says, the original saying. And it's almost like hearing a sermon. It's like uh, Peterson's preaching a sermon, which I need. Uh, So we need to be aware of that. So what is my advice? What is my opinion? My opinion is you need all three versions. I don't think you need one or the other. If you say, well, which one's better? Well, it's better for what would be the question. I think everybody needs a good study Bible. That's a more literal translation. I think everybody needs to read the dynamic translations that are good translations. And I think you ought to at times go to the message or another one to go to is actually more of a dynamic, it's kind of in between it all called the Amplified. Uh, But, you know, go to all those and let them feed you. Let them feed you. The most important thing is that you get in the word and that you get the word in you. And that's what you and I do. You and I need to do that. Jeremiah said this about the Bible. He said, your words were found and I ate them. In other words, I devoured the scripture. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I've been called by your name, O Lord God of hope. A joy and a delight of my heart. And I know uh, uh, so many of us have found the Bible to meet, move in our lives in ways that are incredible, to bring us to a place that, that makes things so uh, uh, amazing to us. And remember back in Romans what Paul said, and now I want to read from a dynamic translation. He said, the sovereign God has sovereignly chose that you could choose to either have a relationship with him or not, And it says in Romans 10, verse 8, in fact, it says, the Bible says, the message of God says that the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If, and remember, it's your choice. So some of you right now, listen, you have a choice. If I could make it for you, I would. I would in a second if I can make it for you, but it's your choice. God has sovereignly chosen to give you the choice and not force you to make it. But if, if you would openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. The Lord wants that for you. He so wants that for you. And um, I want you to know right now, there are some of you out there who I am hoping will actually open your heart and commit your life to the Lord. A God who loved you so much that he not only gave us the Bible, even more, he gave us his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross. So you could know his love. So you could know how special you are, how much you matter. And right now, maybe nothing else I've said has made a whole lot of sense, or maybe a lot of it has, but the most important thing is, are you ready to open your heart to the Lord and commit your life to Him? So right now, is there somebody there, maybe one person, maybe this is your moment, either to commit or recommit your life. Maybe you need to come back. Or maybe right now you're hurting, And you've sat there tonight thinking, you know, I just wanted to find God's comfort and love and I'm getting a lot of information. So right now, let's stop the information and go to what matters right now for you. 
He loves you. And I think if you quiet yourself, if you still yourself, if the Holy Spirit will touch you, God knows where you're at right now. He knows you by name. And if you just open up, that pain, that hurt can start to be healed. Maybe you need to be freed from something. So many people are locked in bondage. And the Bible proclaims a freedom for those who are oppressed. And it could be yours right now. So right now, maybe you're alone, maybe you're a couple, maybe you're friends. What you need to do is you need to believe and then you need to declare it. You declare it first in prayer. By praying a prayer and saying to the Lord that you want to commit your life to him. So let's pray. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be with anybody who needs to open their heart and commit their life to you. I pray, oh God, that they would know how much they matter to you and how not only did you give your only son, but you gave your word so they might know you and they might know the life you have for them. So I pray right now that they would know their life can change if, if they would say yes to you. And I pray right now, if that's you, you would open your heart to the Lord. If that's you, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I pray you forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'd call me into a relationship with you. I pray you show me, Lord, the life you have for me. So I pray in this moment you would fill me with your love. I pray in this moment you would make me completely yours because I say yes to you. I say yes to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you pray that prayer, praise God. Now, remember, you need to openly declare you prayed the prayer. So what you need to do is this. If you prayed the prayer in a minute, then what I want you to do right now is either text amen to 77247. So grab your phone or, or use whatever way you text and text amen to 77247 or go to family. And why do we want you to do that? Because you matter to us and what you just did matters so much to us right now. So I want you right now uh, to, to one way or another, let us know who you are. Trust us. We'll keep it private. Trust us. We are just going to show care for you. We want to send an electronic book to you for free. Uh, we just want the best for you. So if you prayed the prayer, then right now, don't hesitate. Go to CrossroadsChurch.Family or go or text AMEN to 77247. But before we go on, I know all of you who are able to watch the chat know about Adolf Castillo. Castillo. And Adolf, I know you put in the chat tonight that you're hurting so badly because you lost your wife today. And that you guys used to sit and watch this together. And we care about you. You and your wife, Yolanda. We care so much about you right now. So man, my heart breaks for you. But I thank you, thank you for being a part of our family. I thank you for being on right now. And I want you to know we can't take away the pain and I don't even think God wants to take away the pain because you were made to feel, you were made to hurt. 
because you loved and because you love. But thank you for letting us care about you. I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray and ask that you would be with Adolf. What a hard day it's been. What a difficult time he's in. So we know, God, you're the God of all comfort. May your comfort come to him. May your love be with him. May he know not only that you love him, but we love him and care about him. And we pray that all of us one day would be able to see Yolanda together when finally you call us home. In Jesus' name, amen. Adolf, you matter, you matter. You really do. May this week, God's word truly be a light unto your path and a lamp unto your feet. And may he guide you. May he guide you with his presence so clear that you can sense his heartfelt love for you. God bless you and have a great night.